Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're starting off a new triple feature, Mike's delightful D. Palma triple feature, which will begin uh, with 1974's Phantom of the Paradise, directed by Brian De Palma. Um, I'm supposed welcome. to read the thing. Oh, okay. Go for it. Okay. And Andrew will just stick it in. You That's need what to she say, said. You, <laughs> you need to say, like, Kit, will you tell us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? Oh, yeah. You can, hey, you can just pitch, pitch down me saying it. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, kid. <laughs> that's what you sound like, Mike. Yeah, that's what I sound like? Oh, yeah, man. okay, Mike, say it. Well, how about Andrew says it? I've talked a lot. Okay, fine. Andrew, you say it. Hey, kid, what will you tell us? What will you tell us a little bit more about <laughs> the American Friend Institute? <laughs> okay. Um, we are the American Friend Institute. The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. So no exorcist, but Tommy Boy did squeak in at number 100. According to the American Friend Institute, Rambo First Blood is one movie token better than To Kill a Mockingbird. That's a really good job, Kit. I'm Mike. <laughs> I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a big dum-dum. <laughs> you sound like the uncle guy from Mary Poppins. No, I sound like Mike. <laughs> and Mike. I was talking to Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's me, Mike. The biggest dum-dum there ever was. <laughs> I wish my Andrew was as good as his me. Let's hear it. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> is it is it racist? Somehow? <laughs> it's racist. Yeah. <laughs> Ster- stereotypical white guy. Uh-huh. Uh, well, in in Mike's impression, I'm Chinese somehow or something. I have 47 pages of notes, not on this movie, but just total on our American Friend Institute films so far. Oh, wow. Okay. I will say I that my, uh... when, when you said that, my heart skipped a beat that it would be for this movie. <laughs> well, okay. So we'll start off as we always do. Um, had you guys seen the episode before or has seen the uh, film before? I have. Yeah. Okay. I have not. And I knew. So a long time ago. We had a whole plan for a musicals podcast. Yeah. And this was on the list to watch because I was trying to think of things that like Andrew would like and things that Mike would like. And then we never did that podcast. But I kind of like I'm like someday I'm going to watch this movie as part of a podcast. So I won't watch it. (laughs) It's a good strategy. And I was right. (laughs) Yeah, I saw this. I actually I was just remembering as I was watching the special features today. Uh, a video store that I used to go to closed at the end of 2013 and they were selling off a lot of their stuff for pretty cheap. And so I bought this for probably like five bucks. I bought their DVD of this and I watched it in 2014 at some point. And I think that this is actually what kicked off my whole De Palma thing 
where I've been trying yeah. to kind of watch all his movies gradually. You don't um, have think... the uh, you don't have the sh- the Shout Factory Blu-ray. I do now. Um, at right. the time, I don't even think it was out, or I might not have had a Blu-ray player back in 2014. But but this was one of the first Scream Factory or Shout Factory Blu-rays that I I wound up getting. I'll have um, to find some other opportunity to shame you. Yeah, nice try. You're not going to beat me on the Blu-ray game, buddy. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and so I really like. I I'm pretty sure that before that I had never heard of this movie. Um, I don't even I didn't I wasn't even really a De Palma guy at the time, so I don't know why I picked it up other than maybe just the cover looked cool. But um, but yeah, I love this movie. It's great. And I'm very excited to be chatting about it today. Um, I guess a hit since you hadn't seen it. Do what were your uh, well, hold thoughts? up? You didn't oh, yeah. even you didn't even ask me like what like about me seeing it or well we paused oh, you said you'd for, we, we paused I said I had, for you to I said I had seen oh I thought I we were w- just I waited okay. to talk to say so like is Andrew gonna elaborate no well okay. I think it I think it would have been cool if you would have waited maybe just like half a beat longer so I would okay known. sorry hey beats this movie's about music I see what you did there oh, yeah yeah all I right. did that was yeah that was intentional I've been <laughs> all right I, I was awake all Enough night chit-chat. last night thinking Andrew. about how I was gonna work that in Tell me about the first time you saw this film. Uh, The first time I saw this movie was within the last couple years. Um, It was it was when it was honestly it was when uh, you and I were we were talking about De Palma a lot. Like Mm -hmm. it was like when I saw Dress to Kill, Body Double, Sisters, a couple other just like all at the same time. Like I just was like, oh, I got to watch all these movies. And then I watched Mm -hmm. Fan of the Paradise as part of that. And, um, yeah, I had never, I had never heard of it. I was, after seeing it, I was shocked that I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Um, this feels like one of those movies where it's like, you would think, I don't know, even if it was like in kind of like a, like, like, like a Xanadu sort of way or like a rhinestone sort of way, I'm not even saying that it's anywhere near in quality to those movies, but it's just like, I feel like this movie should at least be like in the peripherals in the peripherals of film history in party movie history yes like Mm -hmm. this movie people should know that it exists yeah i think it's picked up a lot of steam actually even just in the last like six years that i've been aware of it Um, for sure well for sure it presages a lot of huge pop culture things like it's before rocky horror picture show it's before the phantom of the opera musical like it's very it's before bad out of hell like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's before the the musical Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, which it's a it's there was a novel and there's been various film adaptations of that novel before oh, the Phantom wow. musical. And there's I have some crazy shit to do with that too. I think like some little factoids. When was the so you're talking about the Andrew Lloyd Webber one? Yeah. When was that? Do you know? Eighties. Eighties. Okay. I didn't even think yeah. about that because I knew that the Universal films are. I think it was, yeah. Um, I've seen yeah. those. Which actually, they 86. got sued. Phantom of the Paradise got sued by Universal. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, which we can get is to that later if we do. Bullshit, but okay. Yeah. I think this was before... Um, I don't remember what... It might have been Weird Al, or it might have been somebody before him. Oh, no, it was Mad Magazine. They set the precedent, uh, the legal precedent, where um, parody was free... I mean, it was just, you but know... they're also you, both you didn't have based to have on the a book. What's that? Bonkers. They're both based yeah. on a book. Yeah. So. so I don't know what the basis was, but apparently yeah. like it, it kind of held up the 
the release and um i don't know that it delayed it but it sort of it seems like it sort of dampened the enthusiasm at fox to promote and push this movie so mm-hmm. much so de palma talks about in the, in the special features he was saying that uh it was a pretty big hit in la and people were enthusiastic about it and the reviews were pretty good but then um he went to go see it in new york on opening day and there was like nobody there and it was that probably was there wasn't much of a marketing push um and then if it doesn't do new york it doesn't re- back then it wouldn't have really spread out too much they further. also got yeah he talked about that i watched the De Palma documentary last week and he talked about nice. how like new york didn't give a shit about it and, and he, in him in that doc he said it was because it was maybe because it was about the la music scene oh um, okay so it just didn't really have people in new york didn't get didn't care about the subject matter um yeah. They also had legal trouble because Led Zeppelin's label happened to be called yes. Swan Song. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but Death Records is a way better name anyway. And it's just uh, that was something to think of. like watching this. I was thinking about like De Palma as a writer in addition to a director, like all the band names and the label names and stuff like that. Like how often do you watch a movie that has to come up with like cool shit that cool music people would do? And it's lame as hell. Like the band name's terrible. Um, or like, but like death records is actually like a fucking rad (laughs) label (laughs) name and everything. Yeah. It's really cool. Like he seemed like um, an actual cool person came up with it. Yeah. So because of that lawsuit with Led Zeppelin, um, that's if you, you, I don't know if you noticed it, um, but there was a lot of like, mats that were just kind of pasted over yeah the labels like either on the building or when he's at that podium yeah 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 and i'd always wondered i was like why the hell did that happen and then so yeah watching the features it was you can i think if you look closely there are a few spots where you can still find the swan song stuff oh really yeah but they don't they don't name they don't call it out but it's i think it's still in the movie maybe we can find you a death records hat instead of an atticus hat that'd be sick as hell that'd be sick (laughs) as hell basically the same logo also um it's I kind of want you know how there's that one little kind of wonky moment at the beginning of the movie where Winslow Leach is he's outside the the Death Records building and instead of panning up to a sign they the camera starts panning up and then a, a logo just fades over it mm-hmm. and I kind of wonder if they had like if it was like a I map, bet it did I, yeah Maybe. I bet it yeah like like I doubt they put a swan song records or whatever sign on a on a actual uh skyscraper but maybe it was like a matte painting or something and then they just yeah. didn't have time to switch it because yeah it just literally go- it's very strange uh, the other weird like- thing to me but not in a bad way necessarily is like when he's running around like it looks nothing like los angeles because it's not it's dallas yeah but, oh yeah yeah but which is strange because i feel like los angeles is fairly recognizable <laughs> <laughs> it's like doesn't look like that at all. But the buildings that he that that allows him to use those buildings were fucking awesome. amazing. Like the yeah. way he uses them when he's running around the city is so cool. Yeah. And also, shit doesn't look like that in Los Angeles. So it's also one of those movies where it's like I know that that it's supposed to be Los Angeles, and I know that that is sort of important to. I mean, I I think that's important to the the what scene they're parroting. But at the same time, like it's one of those movies where. It doesn't feel like I need it to be in Los. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. like it's not establishing Los Angeles as a character as much, even though it's sort of embedded in like what they're actually talking about. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense? Yeah, well, it's well, a very and, like fantastical kind of world, right? Way. Yeah, and for me at this point, I don't even think music industry Los Angeles. So for you know, I don't. You know, you guys. I mean, you're more into the music industry and probably know more than 
but yeah, I don't even, and I also, I didn't think like, well, this doesn't look like Los Angeles. Cause to me, it all just takes place in this, you know, in the paradise. And it's, uh, and I guess that little audition hall, which was supposed to be, I don't know if that was supposed to be the paradise or what, but, um, I, but yeah, that was, yeah, the paradise, I believe. Okay. Where he's like, where everyone's auditioning at the beginning and he's up in the like mirror thing. You mean? Yeah. He's yes. like behind yeah. that mirror. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be the venue. Because they go okay. outside of it at one point and show. That's when they like paste over, I think. Okay. The sign outside. That's a very good name for a venue, too. Yeah. Paradise, Paradise. yeah. I love it. I When you first, I don't know that I'd heard of this movie either before, Mike, you mentioned it like back like years ago now. But I first thought you were talking about Phantom of the Megaplex, the Disney original movie. Oh, yeah. With Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Mickey Rooney. <laughs> to be fair, he, to be fair, that would be something that he would be talking about. It, yeah. That yeah, that movie is on my list to watch if I ever get Disney Plus. So. <laughs> Don't get Disney Plus. Yeah. Well, a lot of times you can get stuff three, free through your cell phone plan. So I'm thinking if I. Anyways, that's not interesting. Okay. Um, so one thing that I caught this time, I think I've probably seen the movie three times now, and. I saw it another time where I kind of jumped in in the middle and it was just, I was at my parents' house and it just happened to be on cable, which was kind of weird, but cool. Um, but I had totally, it had just somehow never clicked with me that that's Rod Serling at the beginning doing the narration. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. He's Whoa. not credited, but I looked it up online. I, I, I have no idea how that came to be. That's, I was trying to find it. Um, but uh, I couldn't find anything that said that's that's super cool. I didn't I didn't realize that either. Yeah. And so I was just like, because, yeah, I, for whatever reason, it must have just been I was different speakers or something. Well, I, I, can, it. I can hear it now. Like, as soon as you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. But, but so that's cool. I guess mm-hmm. Rod Serling, I guess he was still around at the time. Um, I guess if Andrew, can do you want to? Oh, yeah. My my piece of trivia. Yes. About this movie. This is the second film in a row that we've watched for this podcast starring Tonto. Tonto? As a main character. Oh. What, what do you mean? Tonto is the name of that big synth that he lives in. That's a real, oh. fa- that's a real famous synthesizer um, that is at the record plant. It was originally at Electric Lady, and then they moved it to the record plant uh, and built like a studio for Stevie Wonder. Um, where he did a lot of his like first four albums after Motown, um, okay. there on that machine. And it's been featured in like numerous things. Um, but it's called, it's named Tonto. It's an acronym for what it is. So, it, cool. so yeah, just, just so you're aware, um, you know, at the beginning of this, you said that that would be a piece of trivia that I would not care about. And uh-huh. it is like, it is like my sixth note. So you were, so, you were wrong. Well, you sp- sixth note. That's Does this mean that you guys down. are friends again? Six, six out of a lot. I have a lot of notes. Okay, here. okay. But isn't that cool? Yeah, that it's cool. awesome. That's why yeah. I wrote it down. I love because I care. I love machines that look like that, like that seventies well, and, and kind of eighties. It's so crazy because in the um, De Palma documentary, so I hadn't watched the movie yet, but like they showed it, I'm like, that's one hundred percent the record plant like they really went there and shot they had such like a because there's tons of pictures of like stevie wonder in the middle of that like yeah it's and there's really cool uh like stories of that synth and everything it was like the first it was the first synth that you could play a four chord no uh four note chord on because like like the synth that we have at our house is like duophonic 
like that was like the height of technology and they just used two keyboards so that you would be able to do like two smaller keyboards next to each other so that you could do four notes. Hmm. Um, it's really cool. I love that. That thing. is cool. Tonto. Um, do you want to hear my factoid? I yeah. really do. Okay. I have two. I have, um, my first one is that, uh, guess what band saw this movie 20 times in the theater together and then decided to create music together after it and based that off this movie, like their whole look, look and stuff. Well, it's not, I'm... is it kiss? No. Okay. okay. Cause I actually looked kiss up and they didn't, their, their makeup they're, debuted they're just the year before that this has, movie. Came. That yeah. is actually, I, I snicker, but that is actually a good guess, but no continue. Um, I'll give you one more guess. Was it, a, can I, can I ask for a hint? Was it a band of no. the seventies or was it? I'm not giving you any. Oh, you're no hints. Why? Okay. That, hints are what nah. make trivia fun. Because if the only I could give you a hint, but then you'll be like, "Oh, you'll it's you." It but won't even be like, just... did they was the did they when they were seeing the movie in theaters? Was it in its original run, or was it like later on? Mm, I believe they were seeing it in the theater at during its original run i think so they I were abandoned like the late 70s early 80s. no maybe. they were ch they no they were children at that time oh okay they were 12 but they knew each other yes they were 12 13 years old this is like how they met like they met to go see this movie together and then they just saw it a bunch of times and then they and then based they their look as a band yes like kind it's of their whole of the their whole persona is lifted from the titular character. Daft Punk? The Beatles? That's it, baby. Oh, Daft Punk, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It is <laughs> awesome, right? So, yeah, and then um, there was, I have... I have Actually. Some, what? This movie was a huge hit in France, so that makes sense. I should have yep. guessed that. Cool. Yep. And they uh, loved synths. They probably loved seeing Tonto yeah. in there. That's crazy. Uh, so this, gosh, that's crazy. This movie, so this movie is actually crazy influential. Like, here's another, oh, yeah. here's another one that I, here's a quote. Uh, I was reading this interview with um, Paul Williams, and he's like, he said, uh, so I'm at, I'm, picture this, age 16, kid showed up in Mexico City at a concert I'd given. I don't know if he was at the concert or not, but he was there in his dad's suit, and he had an album for me to sign of Phantom of the Paradise. It was Garamel del Toro. So <laughs> having, having just pretty much completed the score for the Pan's Labyrinth stage uh, adaptation. So he, so Paul Williams did the music for Pan's Labyrinth on the stage. And then he also did went on to do music for Book of Life, which was a del Toro produced thing. Oh, okay. So it's, and there's other stories like that where it's just like, Nobody so, knows Phantom of the Paradise, but it's like it's it's weaved its way into so many yeah. things. Well, you know, I, I, I find that ahead. a lot with the Palma stuff that like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, sorry, you were going to say something. Kat? Oh, well, I can go into. So when Lee and I were watching, so the part where um, the Phantom is lighting the red candle to start songwriting, Lee made a joke. He's like, that's how Jim Steinman writes music. And then I was like, I know I'm watching this whole thing is like. This is all like this is two years before Bad Out of Hell came out, but it is 
completely like everything meatloaf. The guy's name is Beef. Like all yeah. of all of this stuff. <laughs> I thought and of that. It's before Rocky Horror and all this stuff. And then I looked it up, and apparently in the late 80s, Jim Steinman was working on an adaptation of this of this show into so, into something. I don't know if it meant into a musical or into an album or into another they, movie uh, or something. They did attempt to make it into a musical at one point, so that yeah. might have been it. Which is, like, re- yeah, really cool. And um, so I, lo- you know, I loved it for that reason. And then, like, all of the Phantom stuff, kind of adjacent to that, Jim Steinman, who tends to make shit up sometimes said that Andrew Lloyd Webber approached him to do the lyrics for the Phantom of the Opera musical originally, and he declined. And then, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the part where the, like, Kiss-looking goth rock band is performing, Mm -hmm. there's, like, a musical element, like, interstitial thing that goes... Do, 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 like something like that on an yeah. organ. And it's like, yeah. sounds exactly like, pew, 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 pew. like, uh. it, which is, you know, the main theme from Phantom, which itself is identical to Pink Floyd's Echoes. Um, and I'm thinking that's maybe a more, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's truly like identical to Echoes, but. It, Andrew Lloyd Webber may have been, because there's other things like, that made both me and Lee go, did he <laughs> get the idea for Phantom and take some stuff from this? Because there's another thing. I've never read the the book Phantom, and I also haven't seen the Universal movie. But the part where he's watching them have sex through the, like, glass window thingy. Oh, yeah. In the musical, the the actual stage musical, it's not framed the same way in the movie. But in the musical, the scene where the Phantom is, like, devastated to see Rawl and Christine kissing. He's on a roof, like w- looking down on them, yeah. watching them kiss. And I'm just like, what? Which came? From- yeah, <laughs> it's very, it's very bizarre. Like there are a lot of little weird phantom musical connections because, like, the musical isn't exactly like the movie, and neither is exactly like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and there maybe is an argument to be made that the ALW musical has more to do with this film than it does with um, either of those original source materials. That is pretty interesting to me. Pretty interesting indeed. What? Yes. Wh- why? <laughs> uh, because well, <laughs> I would say mostly because my. I mean, I, the, I think the way Phantom of the Opera sits in people's minds is more for the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Oh, absolutely. Than... So it's just, like, I I knew that it was a book, um, and I think I've seen, I knew that there was a, an original Universal movie, but I don't, but I think, like, if we hadn't been talking about it right now, like, just, like, the way it sits in my head, I would be, I would, I would not think of those things as things that exist. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, it's just funny to me. It's just funny to me that, and, and how, how much later after this did the musical come about? 86, so 12 years. That's, it's just wow. funny. It's just, it's really funny to yeah. me that, uh, right. and also I think Andrew Lloyd Webber's stupid and a hack and I don't like yeah, his musicals. He rip, yeah. Well, and it's also funny because like, I mean, it's a story about music, but this is as far as I know the first musical, at least in America, of the story, you know, like. Because this movie's like borderline a musical, um, and all and the aesthetic, the black, white, and red aesthetic, like 
that's also like endemic to the Phantom of the Opera musical, mm-hmm. and then especially the movie that got made, like all those black and white floors of his of his mansion, and then like the red candle and all that. Like right, and those would not be things that we would have seen at that at up until like up until Phantom of the Paradise. Not, right? No, not from like the Universal movie, certainly. Right, um, or any. I mean, anything. I mean, are there any yeah. other adaptations that you guys know of, or is it just? I know well, there was the silent one in the twenties film adaptation. There was the one in the forties. I think I've seen the one in the twenties, which the silent one, which mm-hmm. was very good. Well, but, and the, uh, the other thing is that the Phantom. It may not seem like that to us now, but Phantom of the Opera is a rock opera. Like yeah. there's electric guitars and shit like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for that's for int- Broadway and yes. the West End, that's a rock opera. Also, Joel Schumacher hired Gerard Butler to sing. The, <laughs> also, a, a rock singer, I guess, if that's what mm-hmm. you're going to call him. But, like, that's this is very interesting, guys. Mm-hmm. So, I have a maybe trivia. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, we all remember that uh, Winslow, he can't talk after the accident, so he gets that little voice box thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I was thinking about it. I was like, "Well, Brian De Palma was film. He was friends with uh, George Lucas, and yep. George Lucas would make Star Wars, where Darth Vader has the voice box and the breathing wow. thing." And so oh. I was like, "I wonder if and George the helmet and the black." Yes. I wonder if he pulled some inspiration from that, dude. <laughs> dude, that's good, dude. Wow, so, yeah. that's and good. I didn't and then see he anything. Takes off his mask, and he's a big, he's a, he's a scarred guy. Yeah, with like yeah. Wow like a Darth Vader guy so anyways <laughs> I you know this just, rules I hope I hope uh George you know gave through a little uh credit uh De Palma's way or something I don't know well I guess like Rocky it... Horror Picture Show is like I mean the yeah. dude the guy who plays meat also just looks and dresses a lot like Rocky like he's just like a big blonde muscly oh guy yeah Garrett, in short shorts yeah Garrett Graham mm-hmm but uh, yeah, that's true. Which I haven't seen Rocky Horror Picture Show for a while, but this definitely made me want to revisit that. Um, the first that half, kind of at least. For Rocky Horror? Yeah. Rocky. Yeah. I love the first half is like, oh, my God, I love this. And then the second half is just like, when is this going to be over? Yeah. <laughs> so crazy long. Um, I've, I've never seen it, guys. You never seen Rocky really? Horror? Really? We, we should put that in a triple. Uh, yeah, I guess. It's it's I don't a, it's think worth you watching. would like it, but Tim Cur- it's the role of Tim Curry's career, and you love him. I do. It's fun, yeah. and the the music is good. I think the music's I just really remember good. My yeah. my like the way I, know what I you're s- gonna say. the way I see Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's just like all the drama kids like going to <laughs> the midnight showings in their uh, fucking yeah. in their fucking pajamas with their their baby bottles yes, and shit but to go fan, see baby fans of anything can ruin anything that's true fans i agree suck. but i think this is a i think this i think this is a particularly bad group i would say here if it helps picture high school mike in his pajamas going down to the basement to uh watch it oh, on God. vhs instead picture and do me. what else that's it <laughs> although picture susan me. sarandon's pretty legit picture, she is yeah there's lots of titties in it picture mm-hmm. me and Natalie's family, her mom, her grandma, and her little brother, who was probably nine or ten at the time, and Natalie, going to see her sister in a Portland State University production of uh, <laughs> of Rocky Horror as she was uh, magenta. And 
we're in the front row and like right away just like naked women on stage. <laughs> and you and, and you were like all in your there. you were all in your pajamas. You can only watch. You don't the film do that for pajamas. the Rocky Horror Show. You do that. You do that for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You're not. You shouldn't be screaming during the Rocky Horror Show or throwing toast at the screen or whatever the fuck. They I do. did. I went to one in college that was like that. They had it in the student union. It was actually kind of fun. But I had already seen it at that point. I don't know if I would want that to be my first viewing. Although maybe that's better. I don't know. Um, I was gonna say something. Oh, so. We've cut through, we've done a lot of trivia and stuff. Uh, there are two scenes in the movie that I would really like to discuss. Um, just because every single time I watch this movie, I can't believe how good they are. Uh, the first one is the the kind of the touch of evil. I, don't, I hate to call them a parody, but it's certainly an homage to touch of evil. Where it's the it's the Beach Boys, uh, the Juicy Fruits mm-hmm. are singing the the carburetor or the uh, upholstery the split song. Screen. What's oh, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. The side by side thing. Mm hmm. Yes, and it does. Okay, so this is the thing. Um, I love the Beach Boys. Uh, there's, you know, it's all just like bright, you know, beach kind of sunshiny type of thing going on. I love the split screen. There's just this like sensation of overstimulation. Yeah, you um, can't hear what anyone is saying. Yeah, no, I mean, you. I've watched that scene multiple times because there's actually just a clip of it. Well, obviously, there's a clip of it just on YouTube. And like, I love that song. Um, mm-hmm. And just everything about that, I love. I just think that that's like, to me, so people often will talk about how De Palma, like, he'll rip off Hitchcock. And I think he, there's a lot of other directors where you can see that he's very inspired by them, like Wells or Godard um, or others. But, like, to me, um, and it, it might be because this is almost a comedy film. It's like a horror comedy musical, whatever. Um, but, like, he... I don't, I never see him just rip anything off. He always... So he's taken this thing, this bomb thing from Touch of Evil and, like, um it's so it's like it's not like anything is ever wrong with the original but it's just it's so much better and just like this um i don't know this like i said this overstimulation feeling but it's just i get so much joy out of that scene and it's got you know the split screen the bomb ticking um yeah, just like hit- so many things going on all at once and i i just love that see scene. i think it i think it is better i think it is better because like the touch of evil that opening shot is like it's good, but it's also, it's also like really gratuitous. Like the whole point of like a shot like that is to consistently be introducing new information. And like that shot is, I don't know how how long is it? Ten minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's the yeah eight minutes. It's there are long stretches of just okay. The camera is just running like at this point. Like we're not actually doing anything. Yeah. Uh, like there's points where you're you're not being like you're not give, given anything new. So I'm all that to say like uh, I think. I think you're totally right about every time De Palma does generally when he does something that could be considered ripping somebody off, it is always with his own spin, his own commentary on it. And also I think if people are going to say that, first of all, I De Palma loves Hitchcock. He loves him so much that, that to call what he does with, with the things that he learned from Hitchcock ripping him off it just it breaks my heart because it's just like imagine imagine being like really really good at something and respecting somebody else so much uh who does the same thing and that you want to use what they did and like and i don't know to me that's just like it's heartbreaking to because it's like if if he if de palma was a hack if de palma was a bad director like it would be a different story but it's just like 
it's, I don't know. It's insane. Well, he's, he's yeah. very forthcoming about that. Like I, w- my biggest takeaway from the De Palma documentary was basically he like self-admittedly is like, yeah, I'm trying to make movies as good as Hitchcock. Yeah. Like, like that, that it's like his life's work, not to just emulate Hitchcock, but to achieve something like what Hitchcock achieved, which is very different from like sure doing a shot by shot remake of psycho or something you know what i mean (laughs) right like i think but i think he's he's that's a that's like seems like a allowable career goal to me (laughs) i I feel like critics critics at the time probably like in the 70s it seems like it kind of started with sisters and then well and there's a reference to there's a reference to psycho in this movie in phantom of paradise yeah but again it's like um I, I actually, I kind of wonder if he's playing with how the reaction to Sisters was like, oh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, he's got Bernard Herrmann. It's, it's you know, I think some critics sneered at that. And I think other critics saw that and were like, he's, you know, I think, I think in the documentary, he even kind of says like carrying it forward, like this visual language that Hitchcock developed that he wanted to like carry that flame or I don't remember what he says. But, um, but I do think people were, you can read old reviews where people were just kind of dismissive of him as like Andrew was talking about just like, Oh, he's just, you know, he's just doing what Hitchcock did or whatever, which again, if you can do it this well, yeah, I don't understand how there's any insults. Don't we want more Uh, people to be like, yeah, (laughs) to be like, Um, great. It's like saying someone's like just ripping off Scorsese because they made like a really competent film. Yeah. Like, but I, but I think to your point about this particular scene, it's like Hitchcock wouldn't use those tools in the kind of, indulgent colorful pleasurable way that yeah. Palma does like yeah hitchcock's extremely i guess for his own time maybe not but like by comparison to De Palma, very restrained um yeah, yeah and kind of elegant <laughs> yeah but i like but but like i enjoy like there's a there's a campiness to this film. There's a queerness to this film. There's like, like you say, like overstimulation, like crazy, indulgent, colorful. There's like a fun. And I feel like, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of De Palma, but it feels like something he never loses, which is that like someone had fun making this movie. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily feel watching Hitchcock. I'm like some someone like a technician made this movie, but I don't necessarily feel like, like there's like a student kind of, like a passion for making movies that continues to carry through absolutely i that's that's one of my notes about this movie is that it and i and i read a quote that kind of backs this up but it feels so much like yes there is there is a a clear mind behind this but there's also a sense of like hey we're all making something together and apparently the set was extremely collaborative the cast was would come up with ideas. All the crew were coming up with ideas. Well, and he I, works with the same people a lot. Like he keeps like De Palma in general. Like works with the same actors and other people. Like mm-hmm. which to me suggests like people like working with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And feel like they have input in things. Definitely. Well, I mean, the, yeah. And the only thing I wanted to say more about the De Palma ripping Hitchcock thing off is I think I read somewhere once that like De Palma or that Hitchcock was like kind of a dick about De Palma's like early movies before he oh, died. Really? And then also it just, it irks me just because it's just like, if De Palma does not get to get away with making a uh, body double or 
whatever, then Tarantino gets away with none of his career. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So well, and, and Tarantino is a he he's obsessed with De Palma. He loves De Palma. Right. And I think something they share is I almost I don't know. Well, something they share is that I feel like when De Palma does have a handful of movies that I consider to be like a serious drama. It's rather conventionally made. It doesn't feel like it's kind of in this, you know, he's like playing in this, I don't know, candy store or whatever. Um, But both of them, their movies are um, by people. They're made by people who are clearly just single-mindedly obsessed with film and other movies. And like, they don't, they don't, their movies don't feel like they always refer back to, real life like we kind of think of movies mm-hmm. are supposed to do their movies are playing with the universe of movies that they have seen and like you know they're commenting on or they're they're borrowing from or they're improving upon or they're whatever um but it's like when i watch a tarantino film and there's some of his i love there's some of his i really don't like but i can i'm always like oh like that's you know that's from mm-hmm. this or i see he's he's taking this either this whole genre of films or this particular film and he's um I can see how he's he's playing with that, and it it's sometimes it's in service of uh, the story or some themes, or sometimes it's just I think he must really like, you know, the Great Silence or some I don't know some movie. But um, and the then thing, with the with, oh. well, sorry, I was just gonna say with De Palma, like he does that, but he does it like he also has like built his own very specific language, right? You can definitely yeah. recognize a De Palma movie, like looking like going back to that Touch of Evil shot. Uh, like that, he he did that in Sisters the year before or a couple years before, and then I mean you can see that in so many of his movies from like here well, on out. In Mission Impossible, think about Mission yes. Impossible, the thing with the glasses on the bridge, mm-hmm. like you're seeing things Orson, happening from multiple angles. Yeah, like that like, whole that whole opening scene. I'm sorry, one sec. That yeah, yeah. whole that whole opening scene. Uh, which is wonderful, right? Where all the all the MI six or MI what is it? IMF. The IMF agents are all being like knocked off. Like mm-hmm. I would argue that that scene is largely possible because Brian De Palma has created such a sense of spatial awareness from mm-hmm. shooting the same goddamn thing from multiple angles, right? Uh, so many times in his career. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, no, and, no and Orson like. Orson Welles can't own long takes. That's a stupid way to look at art. And, (laughs) like, basically, the thing about the touch of evil scene is that it was also happening at a time when that was, like, a remarkable thing to be able to do and choreograph. But once you're able to do and choreograph, it's like saying that you can't do, like, irises because they're in, like, Birth of a Nation, or you can't do, like, a shot reverse shot because, you know, it's like this, okay, here's a new technique that you are now allowed to go forth and use, which is very similar to how Hitchcock, where like Hitchcock was very good at explaining why his movies worked well. And I don't think he was doing that in order to say, now, no one else is allowed to do this. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying, well, here, I've looked, I've figured out how the medium of film works. And specifically with The Bomb, I don't know when Hitchcock said this, but he has some quote about how if you show i mean we all know this quote where yeah. if, if you have a dinner party and people are sitting around a table and it goes on for five minutes and then everything explodes because there was a bomb under the table 
I, I think he says you have a surprise or a shock or something. Mm-hmm. If you if you start that scene with a bomb, you show the bomb under the table and then you drift up and then you go around and people are talking. Mm-hmm. You've developed the tension. And so I, and I don't know if that's I don't know if he said that before Wells did touch of evil or, you know, I don't know what. But um, gosh, to, to, to what you were saying, it would be like. uh like almost anti-art in a way to be like once somebody has you know done this then nobody else can use that tool he does the same thing in snake eyes which like i've seen this the opening shot of snake eyes i haven't watched the entire movie the the opening shot i don't know super long part but like he as you're explaining with the bridge situation like part of the reason that that take is long is to establish like where everyone is exactly because the rest of the movie is going to be analyzing that one thing happening Mm -hmm. so there's a there's like a re a story reason that justifies it maybe better than touch of evil does (laughs) like i think that 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 part needs to be like that um yeah and i think the split screen in in this movie gives you a sense not only of kind of dread of some kind but also what it is like to be in that environment like to be in an environment that chaotic where all these, you know, mul- all these sounds are also being experienced at the same time by the people who are in the scene. Yeah. Um, you know, in this kind of like backstage environment, it was reminding me when you guys were talking of what we were talking, when we were talking about Nicholas Cage's approach to vampires kiss and how for some reason, we- in that case, we're talking about acting is not considered seems not to be regarded as an art form in the same way that other art forms are considered art, like where it's experimentation is welcome and not, and realism isn't the only possible approach. And it, like talking about this De Palma thing, it does feel like, like, like <laughs> it's long been recognized that in music, in poetry in other kinds of literature, like all anybody is trying to do is both kill and emulate the people who came before them and there's literally no way to escape that like you can like diversity comes from having a variety of people you're trying to rip off not necessarily from just like being born tabula rasa and coming up with like your own idea of something um but it's very strange that we would consider it a bad like a bad thing for movies to be made by people who've seen other movies right well and also this is just like in in the grand scheme of art like that's that's just how stuff progresses yeah yeah is everybody picking up on whatever he or she did and trying to do it better and you know with with their own you know voice and i think like De palma has also it's not as if De palma emulated hitchcock to the extent that any that like people have been hugely inspired by De Palma and all those people have also seen seen Hitchcock movies I'm sure yeah. it's not just because like well De Palma's newer and people don't watch Hitchcock anymore people who make movies still watch Hitchcock um but De Palma's doing different things I don't think Hitch like my favorite scene in this movie is the one where he's the weird, I guess, I don't know if it's steady camera or what, but where the camera with a weird lens on it is following him just like running around mm-hmm. like creating chaos and those are also long takes it's like how's that from hitchcock i got a leaf blower okay i oh. can't hear it okay good well keep going i'm just letting you know i got a leaf that's okay. all i want to say is just like I, I those scenes look incredible yeah um well and that's it was interesting listening to him talk about 
how he makes movies. I mean, I've listened to plenty of supplements and stuff at this point, but on this one, what he always says again and again is he doesn't really shoot a lot of coverage. Um, I've heard him like just plain make fun of movies where there's like close ups like every five seconds. He, he, you know, he was, it was some conversation he was having with Noah Baumbach on a bonus feature. Um, I can't remember. I don't think they even said what movie it was, but he was like, there were, you know, it's like every shot was a close up. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I don't think that technically about movies like Andrew is a filmmaker and you know, like, um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the videos and stuff you've shared get like, that's, you seem to really, you know, when you watch movies now, like, I think you, you really talk about that and pick up on that kind of stuff. I, I'm better at it now than I was, but I, I still, I don't really think of it that often and, unless mm-hmm. something just totally like wows me. And then I kind of watch it again and watch, uh, look, look for stuff. Um, but yeah, he, he says he always thinks like, I have this story to tell. This is what I need this scene to do. And then so he'll just con- he'll just look a lot or he'll uh, really observe the the setting that they're in. If they're shooting on like a location or something, he'll learn it and he'll figure out how can I shoot this mm-hmm. to convey this emotion with the, you know, this uh, this action going on and this type of thing. And then also he talks about how he just he'll get these ideas for like the shot. Um, I don't remember exactly when in the movie this comes. Oh, it, it, it's when they're lowering beef. Uh, in his coffin, like they've chopped up the crowd and put him in the co- yeah, and so his coffin is lowering, and then you're seeing it kind of from from the side stage, from an up from a uh, kind of up in the air from a distance, and then the phantom rises. He's hanging onto a rope, mm-hmm. and so as the coffin goes down, yeah, um, and he doesn't specifically talk about that, but just like I, I, I'm just thinking as I'm listening to him talk, like he talks about it sort of like it's natural and easy, mm-hmm. and I'm just like there would be there is so yeah. much thought and creativity uh in these movies like i can't believe it and that's that's part of why i got so into him back after i watched this i quickly uh, pretty soon after i watched dress to kill and then i started going through all of his his stuff particularly particularly his thrillers um and it was just like these movies feel like movies used to feel to me when i was a kid where it's just like you're just blown away every fucking time. Mm-hmm. Like you're just like, it's like, it just, it feels like a movie should feel or something in a way that I but don't get as much as an adult because I've seen so much now. So, I sorry. Think yeah, go ahead. I think it feels also like we were like spontaneous in a way, like he's able to be on a set and go, let's do this. Like it's yeah. not so meticulously like unlike me. Well, although touch of evil had that too, where people would just be on in the studio lot and he'd be like, let's shoot this. Like, but that there's a balance between like an extremely technical like choice. And he talked about it in the doc a little bit about how when he started first started shooting things, what he realized was like he had a very good instinct for how to move the camera and like yeah. where things should be um, yeah. and all that. And when you were talking, because Noah Baumbach also had to do with he like made that doc too, mm-hmm. is it reminds me of the scene in marriage story with the divorce papers in the kitchen where like the way that that space, you know, it's in a domestic context. It's a very like undepama like setting, but it's kind, it's a long scene that takes place in one place and you have to know where everyone and everything is in order for it's, I mean, the, the divorce papers are like a bomb going off in a very like kind of funny domestic context and one of the things i noticed about marriage story was how how deliberate the movements of the camera and the way that space is used to like tell you where things are and now i didn't know at the time that like 
Noah Baumbach has this like side career as like a De Palma <laughs> yeah. like interviewer. Um, but it totally it, it makes sense. I think. Yeah, that's they talked about. I don't remember. I don't think it was in the doc, but it was in he. So pretty much every De Palma film that comes out on the Criterion Collection, there is an interview between Baumbach and De Palma. And they talked about they're like, oh, yeah, you know how we have like lunch every week. Um, <laughs> and I think they said that at one point it was Baumbach. Wes Anderson and Brian De Palma just all sitting there having dinner or lunch or whatever. And I was like, man, (laughs) I would (laughs) freaking love to just sit there and listen. Just God. Well, you know, and you know, I feel like they're just showing up to listen to De Palma. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's funny too, because I, I'd seen several, I I have not seen Marriage Story yet, but um, I've seen most of Baumbach's work and I'm not the biggest fan uh, and so I was surprised initially, um, when I found out he's such a De Palma guy because his, their movies are just so different. Uh, but it's funny I've that you say that. that liked, you could... uh, no, uh, Noah, I can't stand, I could not stand Noah Baumbach's movies until I saw Mary Stern. I was like, this is the best movie I've seen this year. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was, I thought it was so good. I, I think it's interesting though, that he would be such a yeah. fan of De Palma and that you're saying like with that, that, uh, divorce paper scene, like that he's kind of using that or he you know mm-hmm. and i'm sure it's not just De palma he's you know he's yeah getting, getting his skills elsewhere as well but anyways um while we're on the subject of other filmmakers uh <laughs> he uh the, so on the crew um jack fisk was the production designer and um yeah. he was dating sissy spacek this is before carrie Yep. Um, and so she's listed as, uh, I think, oh, set, yeah, set dresser. Decorator. Mm-hmm. Set decorator. So okay. Cool. So she was apparently like painting the sets um, for, for a lot of the film. But I was thinking, and this is another heavily Hitchcock inspired filmmaker. Um, this movie, I was getting, before I had really looked into the credits, I was getting Mulholland Drive vibes. Mm-hmm. And Jack Fisk works with Lynch frequently. Um, oh, interesting. Uh, and so I was like, and I don't, I don't really think it was like the look of this, but like the subject matter a phantom of the paradise is um pretty close i mean it's it there's i think there's plenty that lines up with mulholland drive just in terms of sort of this evil industry surrounding creativity and you know you know whether it's music or film or whatever you know anyways so that was one other note i had that the uh, red room of twin peaks definitely looks like this movie the, oh yeah with the whatever um, it's called the black lodge or whatever yes yeah but the, the checkered tile and the, the, and the drapes red and everything. curtains yeah 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 so yeah i, I kind of wondered like maybe because they all would have been around the afi the other afi at the time uh because lynch the, was there doing a race the band the, no the other other <laughs> afi okay you got you have to be very specific when you're talking about afi i should there's too many of them these days mm-hmm. um but but yeah let's see i guess um Oh, the other scene that I wanted to dive into, although this I have a lot less to say, but I just it makes me laugh every single time. The the psycho scene, uh, the shower scene that we talked about a minute ago. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, Gosh, every time he pulls the plunger off of Garrett Graham's (laughs) face and he makes that yelp like it just cracks me up. It's Um, so good. good. And also, I should say, Garrett Graham is so good in this movie. Um, He's Mm -hmm. I guess he's worked with the Palma and some stuff. I can't think of what else he's been in. I know I've seen him in stuff, um, but like just apparently he was really sick when they shot the um the scene where kind of uh beef is being introduced to um the audience and like you know it's it's kind of when they're in the like the the undeads or whatever the band's name was um but i mean he's like you know so apparently he was just like you know 
had like a terrible flu or something, but he's like, you know, going nuts on the stage and like his dance moves are hilarious and um, all of that. But uh, anyways, but that uh, reminds yeah. me, I don't know why I didn't put this together, but I was reading an article yesterday about a, one of the most famous, well, I guess it's, it's a notorious Broadway flop that basically, basically killed, um, what's his name? Sorry. Michael Crawford. So it basically killed Michael Crawford's Broadway career. He was the original Phantom um, called uh, Dance of the Vampires, which I should send you guys the article. It's a very weird story. It was based on a film by Roman Polanski, which was then translated in turned into a musical in Vienna that that Polanski directed um, and had music by Jim Steinman. And then they adapted it for Broadway and it and it was terrible. But Michael Crawford character who is like the 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 starring vampire he rises up in a coffin like from the stage and then it's like variously also lowered in the coffin and then it like opens it's very similar interesting (laughs) to hit to uh beef's emergence this is different than fearless vampire killers this is something else no yeah this is this is dance of the oh no yeah it's the fearless vampire killers and the musical is based on that uh okay have you ever seen that movie no okay it's like gorgeous it's like like the the buildings and everything are really great but it's it's supposed to be like a horror comedy and yeah i found it very boring and shitty apparently they cut it it in a they cut it in a way that ruined it oh really polanski's story anyway okay Um, yeah it feels very lifeless like it does not feel like a comedy much broader um let me kick my light on i don't know this movie fearless vampire killers Mm -mm, never heard of it it's worth watching for the like sets and the costumes and the visuals in my opinion but yeah but i haven't i also haven't watched it it might maybe it's better than i'm remembering um but the actual the the vienna uh version of the adaptation is like one of the longest running shows like in europe like it's still very popular But then oh, wow. in the U.S., like, no one knows. It ran for, I don't know, six weeks. And there's a bootleg that we watched yesterday. And honestly, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Like, there were some funny jokes in the first act. But it ended up just being, like, a jukebox musical of Jim Steinman songs, which, like, you think I would like. But it was it just felt very lazy to me. Okay. Anyway. I think I have burned. Oh, there is a website uh devoted to this film called mm-hmm. swanarchives.org did you try to go there mm-hmm. it is it is blocked until uh donald trump is out of office to people <laughs> to people in the united states i didn't have time to uh pull up a proxy or anything but nah yeah. i think that rules yeah I, I could have pulled uh some info out of that but but yeah i don't know i felt like i had enough to talk about just from having watched the film again so it's been is a that, few years is that run out of canada then I don't know. I didn't. I don't know. I, I just. I know this movie was a big hit in Winnipeg. Yes. Yeah. And and that's where they had they had a couple of like uh, fan of the paradise conventions. I know of. Yeah. I think so. every year they are they like, still doing it. Thing. Okay. I think if they so. still do it. That rocks. But I know that they had uh, like uh, what's the guy's name? Finley. Uh, Bill William Finley. Finley. Or William Finley. Yeah. He yeah. came. He came to one before he died, and I think Paul Williams might have gone to one. But anyway. Okay. Did you recognize uh, Jessica Harper? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Suspiria, baby. Suspiria, yeah. What'd you say? She's awesome. Her voice is so cool. She's so cute. Like, yeah. And Lee and I both recognized her from different 
Thanks. Okay. Um, yep, I'm a fan. Nice. Another heavily uh, Hitchcock-inspired filmmaker, Dario Argento, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. Suspiria. Oh, yeah. Good point. Um, I felt like the scene of Paul Williams in, like, the record desk, just, like, looking at people do the song in different versions. First of all, that's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, It also cool. reminded me of Sing Street a little bit. Um, yeah. And it also felt like a personal indictment of my way of working. <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel like one of the one of the costs. That's funny. Sorry, I should have laughed. <laughs> that is funny. Um, I felt like the one of the cost. I'm just thinking about Sing Street in my head and like one of the costumes that because isn't isn't in that movie. I saw it a while ago, but doesn't he his his like outfit like his look progresses throughout yeah. the movie, right? Every time he hears like a new band, their song, their music changes like to just completely knock off that style. And then they start dressing that way, too. Okay, I feel like there's definitely a beef in there. Yeah. (laughs) In his his outfits. (laughs) Which, by the way, big fan of beef. Big fan of a huge crowd of people chanting beef. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The costumes were amazing in this movie. I love the costumes and the styling and everything. Like that's, that's the main takeaway for me of like, how have I not watched this before? Is like, there's so much like fashion inspiration in this movie and it really deserves to be more of an icon in that regard. I think. Yeah. Like Rocky Horror is a huge fashion touchstone. And this movie is like, holy shit, the costumes fucking rule. Did you look at who the costume designer was or who? No, I didn't. I didn't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess Fisk was production designer, so maybe they were heading over that, Let's but I don't see. I didn't I didn't look to see if the costume designer had like done other stuff that I would have heard of. But, but it's crazy that the, this movie it's weird that this movie got made for 2 million dollars like even even as like I don't know, like as much as it feels like a movie where a group of people are just like coming up with great ideas all day and just trying shit out, mm. it still feels like this movie should have been like this movie should have cost at least a little bit more money. Cost costume yeah. designer did Carrie, which is also which is more of an iconic fat movie fashion wise. Mm-hmm. Um, she did Airplane. She did Tron. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. She did RoboCop two. What's um, her name? Her name is Rosanna Norton. It's weird that she didn't do okay. RoboCop 1, since that stars De Palma's ex-wife. Um, yes, she did yeah. Casper. She did Barb Wire, which I filmed my referenced a few episodes ago. She did The Patriot. Anyway. Okay. So she went on to quite the career. You know what? Mm-hmm. Good for her. That's what I say. I say oh, no. It's her. the Steven Seagal <laughs> Patriot. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> I take it all back. I kind of forget about the Mel Gibson one. I don't. I also don't even know of the Steven Seagal one. But uh, um, I just watched. I just, I just watched the Patriot like uh, yeah, we three were or four about weeks it. ago. Yeah, it's like it's like one. I feel like I watch it whenever I try to watch it with people. They're always just like it's boring, and if for some reason it's like one of my favorite movies. Like I've seen it huh. dozens of times. Yeah, I haven't seen it since theaters. I actually saw that with my old neighbor. I went down to Georgia to visit them. Um, I love it. I think I think it's it's also kind of the movie where people I think were like, oh shit, Heath Ledger is really good. Oh yeah, and like I think him and like it's Heath Ledger giving a very noticeable performance, and then it's Mel Gibson who's generally very good. And it's honestly the the just the the chemistry between the two between the two of them probably because they're both Australian. 
They're yeah. probably yeah. talk. They're probably between takes. I'm sure they were talking about freaking dingoes, Vegemite, the friggin' Outback. They're probably freaking shrimp on the Barbie, eating Vegemite off each other's penises. Bloomin' uh, Onion. Bloomin' Onion's big. They probably both went to the Outback Steakhouse together, <laughs> as Australians do. As Steve Australians Irwin. do. They probably were quoting Crocodile Dundee back to each other all day. That's not a knife. Yes, not a knife. <laughs> why, um, why, did, why, did, why did I do it like that? I don't know. Um, okay. The thing about Heath Ledger, though, is like Lee and He's I dead? just rewatched. <laughs> Is that, he, I feel like that okay. is his thing because, like, if you like that, he's we, dead. Le- I no, guess it's his thing now. Oh my god, Lee! First of all, you know that series that was about like I can't remember what it was, but it was like a docu series, and they did one about Heath Ledger, and they did the one about Patrick Swayze that I was fucking obsessed with. The one about Heath Ledger is just like devastating. Um, but well, yeah, he's dead. It's not, but that's not the only reason why. It's because like he was such. A fucking cool dude. It's crazy what a cool dude he was and what, like, a career he would have had. Um, But, like, we watched A Knight's Tale, which is, like, a shitty little fun movie. But, like, he makes a lot of hay of it, I think. Like, he manages to, like, be such a star even in this, like, pretty crappy, cheap little movie by a guy who didn't really make any other movies. (laughs) Right. and He really made something of it. And opposite one of the worst actresses who's ever graced the screen. Yeah. Well, that's so true. So true. Who's that? And also, uh, Shannon, Shannon Sossaman. Um, okay. Lee was like, oh, I thought she was so pretty in this. And I'm like, you might want to not listen to her talk then. Um, <laughs> or move then her face. It's the same. Like, Ten Things I Hate About You is a better movie and has a lot of good things about it. But he is still, like, so the He's reason the why that movie is a thing. Absolutely. <laughs> He's... I- I think, him, I, I think him him and JGL, but yes, like the yeah. ladies in that movie who are arguably equal stars are, well, you know what? I had a big crush on Julia Stiles after I saw I don't that movie. think she's good. She's beautiful and interesting looking. I don't think she's a good actress, but I think no. the little girl who was on uh, Alex Mack, she's good. She's cool. Sure. Yeah. And hey, don't forget David Crumholtz holding it down. <laughs> Always, always looking 30 years old. Was one of my favorite actors when I was a kid, I think. It's so weird to me because it's just like, how is this kid? How is this guy a high schooler? But like, he really was pretty young when they made that movie. Oh, yeah. As as the host of the show, I feel like I should be <laughs> pulling this back around to Phantom. You know, I do um, have something to say about Phantom. Uh, okay. One of my, one of my, fa- like, just, just uh, since we were talking about the original movie earlier, I love... There's that, and I think this happens throughout the movie, but specifically there's that stretch of movie that happens from like the point Winslow shows up at the off at his office and then goes to prison and then all through his transition into becoming the Phantom. That whole sequence feels like a silent movie to me. Like mm-hmm. yeah. just it's and it's even they even use like the 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 sped up frame rate. Uh, yeah. And just like very stylized moments, which is probably, you know, both a result of trying to make it look like this, but also, you know, conveniently cheap, I bet. Yeah. Like the the courtroom that he go that he gets sentenced to life in prison for is just like a a podium with the American flag lit up in the background and then just black fall off. Um anyway, that was that was probably that was probably my favorite like 
like single like stretch in this movie. Um, but yeah, we haven't, other than that, we haven't really talked about like, no one has said that they like this movie <laughs> and it's starting to stress me out. I loved it. I love this movie. Kit's okay. going to mess with you. It sounds like she's not going to. Okay, great. Can I, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say that I, I love this movie. I loved it the first time I saw it. I loved it more this time, but I also liked it less a little bit. And the hmm. only reason I would say, the, the only thing that really, I really feel like he's trying to do maybe too many things. Um, like it's, it's Faust, it's Phantom of the Opera, it's Dorian Gray, mm-hmm. it's whatever else. Uh, and I feel like by the time we get to the supernatural aspect of this movie, it's like I both accept it and wonder why it's happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, 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 the movie has such a wild pace that it does, you know, it's only 90 minutes, which is awesome, by the way. Yeah. Um, yes. But, uh, like, you're, you're so along for the ride that you kind of just take whatever De Palma's feeding you. But at the same time, I do think that, like, the movie does get maybe a little hard to swallow once he commits suicide. Although I do like, I do like Swan coming out on the roof and pulling the knife out and reminding him that he's under contract so he can't mm-hmm. die. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the mo- that's one of the most, I would say, biting critiques of the music industry probably right right <laughs> in the right, movie right for sure that scene where he stabs himself if i if if i remember correctly uh i like the little quick edits the quick cuts they really like each mm-hmm. one each little bit works really well um yeah the momentum of it or something i don't know um well i think that's everything are there any little stragglers we want to do i do want to observe um, that Andrew has two doors behind him mm-hmm. and just like with like half a second in between one dog walked out one door and the other one walked in the other door. So it looked like there was just like this a immediately portal. like, yeah. <laughs> what's what's have... really, what's really mm-hmm. going to trip you up, Mike, is that they were both the same dog. My God. I have two little stragglers. Okay, cool. One is I enjoy that a Swan's security system is capable of a shot reverse shot. Like, based on who is talking. Yeah. Um, Also, the idea of someone being willing to die rather than not look like Paul Williams forever is deeply funny. (laughs) I love that. I loved how his mansion had, like, really low doors and everything. And Paul Williams is a fucking cool-ass dude, and he's really great in this movie. He was. He was very good. Also, I don't know if I... We, I don't know if any of us said it, but William Finley as as Winslow or the Phantom uh, mm. was also very good. I know Gary very Graham good. Was, yeah, He's very it was good. everybody was really bringing it in this. Yeah, one. I, right, I, I was just gonna say De Palma did originally consider putting uh, Paul Williams in the role mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the Phantom, and Paul Williams is like, "No, I'm too short, and that would be so weird." And De Palma's like response was something like. But wouldn't it be so funny to have like this little man up in the rafters throwing things down onto people, <laughs> uh, which is funny. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad he talked him out of it because mm-hmm. I think yeah, William Finley's really funny. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wondered. I haven't seen any of De Palma's other movies with William Finley, but I was wondering if he likes him specifically for the way that he like runs and destroys a room because it seems like <laughs> that was where he really excelled. <laughs> yeah. It's just like wiping shit off of desks and like running like frantically. See, yeah, see, see that the cool thing about like 
seeing uh William Finley in a movie is just like it it feels like for me personally like oh I'm seeing somebody rep- like that's my representation you know mm-hmm. somebody with extremely long arms <laughs> wipe <laughs> knocking knocking things over so it's just it's nice that Hollywood's finally coming around it was funny this- the part where he's revealed to be in drag on the bed I had been looking at that girl for so long and being like what the oh, fuck yeah. is with yeah. that girl? Like she's faced <laughs> away from the camera. Her pose is very unfeminine. Like her body is huge compared to these other people. Like it was very strange. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, when you were talking about how he's like swiping stuff off of uh, shelves and tables and stuff, uh, this movie was before Steadicam, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're talking yeah. about? I think you're you're thinking of that scene where he like storms into. Mm-hmm. To, that's my favorite shot in the whole movie. Me but, too. Yeah, ba- basically what you would do, uh, it's just handheld. But if you use a wider lens, that like the wider the lens, the more like shake you can basically get away with. Okay. So like you'll never see, um, even Steadicam shots now, like you generally won't see a very tight lens put on that, like a very long lens. Uh, usually, I think it's like, I mean, I, I could be wrong about this, but like, for me personally, like I would not put anything more than like a 50 millimeter lens on a camera and walk around with it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause a lot of that, it was a very active camera for a movie that yeah. I think was like six years or something before. And De Palma just... was like, a like immediately embraced Eddie cam when it was Did available. He? So yeah. Kit, yeah. have you seen body double? No. Okay. Don't watch body double until I put that in a triple future. Cause I really okay. want to watch body double with you. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. Okay. I haven't seen I don't Dress know. to Kill either. I've I don't know what other diploma I've seen other than Mission Impossible and like a chunk of Snake Eyes, but not the whole thing. Okay. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I can easily. Oh, make and another. Carrie, obviously. Carrie Triple. scarred the shit out of me as a child. <sighs> That's such a good movie. You know, I rewatched Carrie not that long ago, and like, it might have been the first time I had watched it since I was like a De Palma fan, and uh, the scene with the blood coming down on her at, at prom um, is. Like I had no memory of how long that scene is. I, I swear that's to God, that's another it goes bomb on. going off scene. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a split, it is because that's a split it's like screen. this whole yeah. prom, screen, but yeah. it's like, but it's also like the whole, the whole night she's having. You're like, oh, obviously shit is gonna. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, she can't actually be happy. Yeah, and I mean, even when I saw that movie as a kid, I knew how it ended. Like, I, I, I don't know that. I don't know if that was part of the marketing campaign or not, which I would have been well after that. But like, I feel like everybody going into Carrie knows that at the end that of that the movie, blood's gonna drop on her. Yeah, yeah, the bomb goes off. Yeah, um, but but yes, I also I love that scene. But I just remember being like, "Good God, this has been going on for ten minutes," and like it's just so like you're so uptight by the end of it, and when it yeah. finally hits the fan. Um, did you say you had another little straggler? Or are we all? That was all. That's it. Okay, so we it is time for the cruise uh, minute. I just want to say that Kit has still not said whether she liked Phantom of the Paradise. Oh no, yes. I liked it. I will okay, say I did not follow the plot like at all. Like one I iota, I didn't know what was going on, and it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's how I watched it the first time. I think it's got a good story. I think I think there's there's substance there. I think. I think I, it's I a good it's... setup for like a critique of the music industry and everything that i followed in the movie was stuff that i knew from the fan of the opera musical essentially <laughs> like like that was how i is how i know the story of phantom um, yeah. but it's kind of like rocky horror where well it's not as dumb as rocky horror rocky horror has like a very like 
at certain times philosophical and supernatural lore to it that you're like, we really don't give a shit. Like, I agree. I don't care about, like, the mechanics of his deal with the devil in this film, but yeah. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I liked it. And I know that I do, I can totally see how, like Andrew was saying, that having it be uh, Faust and Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. and Dorian Gray, like, could be a bit much, but right. I thought it all, think, because it was all just such a big fun blender of everything. I was just like, yeah, on board I think for it's that. very surprising that this movie's aesthetic is not more referenced in popular culture. I think like, I think it's been very influential, but it's not, like I said, a movie that the fashion industry recycles, like everyone's, you know, like, yeah. which I would kind of think it would be as but much as Rocky horror is. I am. I do feel like it is good. Like I thought uh, Mike's Darth Vader thing was really interesting. Yeah. It, I think the Daff. I mean, it's cool though, that like it's, it's still in there in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, it gives me hope for the future. <laughs> um, all right. A, a cruise minute? Yeah, baby. You I got, got one. one. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so in this is about the mummy that came out in 2017. Uh, Annabelle Wallace, who was his co-star. Um, terrible. Yeah, she's terrible. But anyway, <laughs> she said... Um, she said, I got to run on screen with him, but he told me no at first. He said, nobody runs on screen with me. And I said, but I'm a really good runner, Wallace explained. She said, so I would uh, time my treadmill so that he'd walk in and see me run. And then he added all these running scenes. And so that was it. And she said, uh, um, you know, it was like better than an Oscar. I was so happy. I was so happy. Oh, I was so happy I got to run on screen with Tom Cruise. <laughs> that makes me like her. I'm sorry I said you can't act. You don't have to be sorry. She's not going to listen. But I do think uh, that's. Cool. I do think I do think it's cool that like you were in a horrible, horrible movie, but you got to you got you got. I mean, yeah. you got a, you got a lot of money too. But uh, it's also very cool that you got one like experience to pull away if from we, it. If we got to work on the mummy, that'd be all we talked about for the rest of our lives. <laughs> it, it'd, be, it'd be it'd be our favorite movie. Yeah. yeah. Imagine having to go to parties and talk to people about how the mummy is your favorite movie. <laughs> I can do it. That's that's more or less my life is trying to convince people who hate things that I like that they're actually good. So also there's a, Mm -hmm. go ahead. This is total sidebar that can be cut out of it. But last night Lee told me that he went to Wheaton with Bruce Springsteen and worked with Bruce Springsteen's nephew. And that's just one of the many celebrity (laughs) encounters and like weird things about Lee's life that he just never shares with anyone. And I was thinking that just bringing that up of like, if I ever worked with Tom Cruise, like in the smallest or, or like saw him from a distance, it would be like my one story that I ever told. But like (laughs) Lee has like, Oh, I saw them filming the, uh, the Tumblr chase and <laughs> in Batman begins and just like, doesn't tell anybody that that happened. See, if it <laughs> were me, like if, if I, if I walked past Tom Cruise on the street, I would be telling people for years about the time I hung out with Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. Um, this is oh. usually when Andrew interrupts me. <sighs> do I have to do everything around here, but my, <laughs> What the listeners, uh, or the listener, uh, would like to know what movie we're going to talk about next week. Oh, thank you, Andrew. I almost closed up shop here before we'd gotten a chance uh, to say. Oh, I'm Mike, and I'm a big dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. I think I'm getting an echo. I can, like, hear myself in these <laughs> headphones. Um, 
Join us next week when we will be watching uh, 1980, I think. Uh, Blowout. So. Uh, 80... oh, I'm so excited. 81. 81, okay. Nope. I've seen yeah, that movie. 81. I forgot. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, Blowout, yeah. I will say, I, I am extremely excited. Blowout is one of my favorite movies. Yes, um, good. I, I think people people that I know have said have tried to insist that John Travolta is a bad actor. It's and the best use of John Travolta that exists, I believe. It is one of the best uses. The it is that this and I think this and get shorty. If I if I He's great and get so, shorty, yeah. If somebody says John Travolta is a terrible actor and I put and I lay blowout and get shorty at their mm-hmm. feet, I dare them to tell me he's a bad actor. Yeah. Well, and, and okay, I'll I'll put it this way then. No one made better use of John Travolta's beauty than Absolutely. Brian Palma. I agree. Sure. Very nice. <laughs> we'll get ready next week for a beautiful Travolta. <laughs> but yeah, I sometimes will just watch the only version that's on YouTube is the uh is a French it's I guess it's from like the French DVD or something, but the scene where spoiler alert, he finds that all of his tapes have been erased and the camera just kind of spins Goes around in a the, circle. the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I amazing. love the, fire, just the makes fireworks me feel good. backdrop. Amazing. Yeah. Also amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited. I love I'm excited movie. too. You guys, this was way more fun than Hollywood Nights. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> are you, are you, do you think that we should forgive you for Hollywood Nights? Is that what you're trying to say? I mean, I'm just saying I, I specifically chose the De Palma triple feature because I was like, I feel like I've picked some kind of harder to watch films. I want three winners. And so I believe yeah. that we I, I think we're going to go three for three. I don't really blame you because I feel like there was probably a concern at the beginning of this podcast. Like, will we be able to talk about good movies? Yes. In an interesting way. Or yeah. will it just be us going like, wow, this movie's so good. That was awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But we kind of proved that we could, I think, with like Eyes yeah. Wide Shut and stuff. And Yeah, it was a good yeah. episode. Some of our best episodes are good mm-hmm. movies. Which is, what a relief. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, slow Motion Triple Feature was recorded in a bricked up room at the Paradise Music Club. Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great and decides who lives and who dies. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com. Thank and you. And this is Mike, and I'm signing off. <laughs> I don't spit that much when I talk. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs>